Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Finding God, that is what is most needed today. Would you say a lot of people out there in our community aren't really seeking God? So they need to find God and then to come and know him personally. Find God, know him personally. Doesn't that sound like something else? You know, connecting with Jesus, growing in Jesus. It's sort of similar. Uh, Yes, well... We want people to seek and find God so that they come to know the true God who deserves all the worship and praise. And the way to know God is to come and know Jesus. And we call it the good news, or another word is the gospel. God sent Jesus on a mission to save everyone. And understanding the gospel is key to understanding God and what he's doing and what he's done. And so we talk about gospel, being gospel-centred people, gospel-centred churches, gospel-focused programs and vision and community and so on. Uh, But what do we really mean when we say gospel? Um, Teachers... They all know that in order to instruct their pupils, uh, they need to get the basics to start with, and then they can build on that. And perhaps we, many of us here can say we know the gospel. Um, perhaps we hear it, but can we tell others the gospel? If someone came to you today and said, please tell me the gospel, just Just explain it to me so I can understand. What would you say? What would you really think is important to say or essential to say? Um, You can just start talking about Jesus. Perhaps you say he rose again after he died. And um, but people may say, well, what does that mean to me? Uh, So here we have. Paul preaching to people who don't know about Jesus, who don't know what he did or what God was doing. And in this speech to the Athenians, uh, and particularly to these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, uh, some fairly educated, perhaps academic type people, um, what is essential, we might ask, that Paul conveys to these people? Does he cover enough? Does he say enough? And if we look at the sermon, we see that, well, he doesn't really say a lot about Jesus. Um, in fact, you know, there's, um, there's a lot in it leading up to what he does say, the little bit he does say about Jesus. And so I want to pose three questions uh, that are helpful to ask. The first question is, what is essential for a person to find God? I'm sure Paul was thinking about having gone around through Athens and then he was taken to the Areopagus. Uh, Simon's got another way of saying that, but that's all right. Um, He's taken to the Areopagus and 
he was thinking about what is essential for these people to know God, uh, the content of his address. And then the second question is, well, how can I explain it so they understand and find God? And the third question is, well, what leads some to believe? Some did believe, some didn't. But what leads a person to believe? Three questions, the what, the how, and the why. What is essential to know to find God? How to say it so people can find God? And why do some accept it so that they do find God? So firstly, what is essential for finding God? Now, some very committed and strong Christians might say, well, just tell them Jesus. That's what we need to do. It's all about Jesus. Just tell them the gospel. Okay, present the gospel. It's essential for finding and knowing God. And that may appeal to you, just getting that message out there and leave the rest to God. I mean, that's what he's got to do. He's got to work in their hearts. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of confusing and mixed ideas, even amongst Christians, even how Christians say things. We talk about gospel work, but is it really our work? What is the gospel? Again, the gospel is an announcement, the good news of what God has done, not what we do. So we can get our terms confused or our our language is confusing. And we may just want to present some bare bones sort of like a headline. If you can imagine um, the Shep News, it's got a big headline every day. Imagine that, every day. The headline is, Jesus is Saviour and Lord, you must believe. Imagine that, getting out there everywhere, all around Shepparton and all around there, everywhere. Everybody's hearing it and seeing it. But will they believe? Will they, reading that, believe, just reading that headline? I don't think so, will they? Because what is assumed is that people know why Jesus is Lord and Saviour. So the Shep News, if they were going to publish that sort of headline, they'd have a reporter go out and he needs to understand the background. He needs to ask the questions, who, what, why, where, when. And a good reporter will write it up with helping people understand the background so that people can be fully informed of why it is good news. And that's what we see here with Paul in the address to the Athenians. There's a very helpful lead-in to the gospel, a background information. Now, is that information part of the gospel? Well, we might say, no, it's not really, or maybe it is. But... uh, Perhaps if we just go straight to the what is the gospel to answer that question. And Paul answered it very concisely in 1 Corinthians 15. If you remember, in that start of that chapter, Paul tells the Corinthians, you know, he says, he reminds them of the gospel he preached to them, that they have come to believe and accept so that you are saved by holding on to this truth. And what is that truth? Paul goes on then, he says, well, these, these are the, um, the things of first importance, he says. These are the essentials. 
that Christ died and was raised from the dead. He was died for our sins, was buried, raised on the third day, and then he appeared to the apostles, and then to 500, and finally he appeared to Paul. So basically, what is the gospel? As Paul defines it there in 1 Corinthians 15, it is Jesus' death, uh, that he lived, he was a person who came into this world, he lived a life and died a death, and and was raised again to live forever. And the proof of that is he appeared to Peter and the apostles and 500 others as well as Paul. And they are crucial, Those understanding those events are crucial to accepting the gospel, accepting what the good news. And so let's look at what Paul presented. And I'm going to run through their six points Five are basically background points before he gets to the gospel. I'm just going to run through these very quickly from the Bible and just give a heading as to what they are. And, uh, yep, yeah. uh, we've got it up there. First, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. God is the creator. And verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God is sustaining this world that we live in. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What that's actually pointing to, that God is the father of all mankind. He's our heavenly father. And he's also the Lord of all men. And verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. How important that is to find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Here's the point that God is a friend to those who are out of sorts, enemies to God, sinners is another word. And verse 28 and 29, Paul quotes a couple of poets that the Epicureans and the Stoics would be very familiar with. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image by human design and skill. God is almighty, but he's also a friend of sinners. And then verse 30, leading into the gospel, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Importance is that God has provided a way to get right with God, and that is through Jesus. He's the Redeemer, and he's just going to point that out now because in verse 31, which is where the gospel really comes out, he touches on, is that he has appointed, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by a man he has appointed, And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God's appointed judge is Jesus. And uh, Jesus 
will judge everyone because uh, God's appointed him and therefore people need to repent and believe on who he, who he is and what God's doing. Now I want to go back to each of those points briefly. But can you think about why people don't hear the truth about God? You know, our world abounds with many stories, people not hearing correctly and not understanding the words. I have a wife who has hearing aids and when her hearing aids are out, if I only speak softly, or uh, she sometimes only gets a few words and the words are not understood because it's not loud enough or clear enough. And likewise, when I work, there's a, a certain Indian farmer that comes in but he can't speak English. He speaks Hindi. <laughs> He's got this fitting in his hand and I'm supposed to understand what he wants. But the communication's another language. I hear them, but I don't understand him at all. It's loud enough, but I really got to take him to the fittings and say, is this what you want or is this what you want? <laughs> so eventually we get there. But uh, it's difficult. And in the same way, People today don't understand Christians when they try to explain the gospel without giving them an understanding of their background and what they understand and don't understand. We're either unclear in the words we use or we use jargon words or it's like we're speaking in another language. And often Christians sort of go straight to the personal <laughs> Um, you know, which which might be true. We start telling people what to do and and not why it's so important to understand why we'd want to do that. So we might say, well, you know, in, in some roundabout way, you're a sinner. You need to repent. You don't measure up to God's standards. Or you just need to believe in Jesus. If you don't, you'll go to hell. Or you just need to obey what Jesus said. You see, we've got all these rules, and if you don't obey, then you're out. You're out of the, out of the tent, out of the court. Um, and maybe all those things are true. But then we need to help people understand the background and why Jesus came and died on a cross for them. And... We need to explain how God deals with us personally. You know, Paul is telling these people in roundabout terms, if you, if you read this sermon, that they're ignorant people. You know, God's overlooked their ignorance, but actually you are ignorant people. <laughs> now, we don't go around and say, you're ignorant and you're ignorant. <laughs> um, and they're idol-worshipping people. You know, you've got it all wrong. You, you build all these temples and you worship all these idols, but you actually got all that Wrong. See, their whole world belief system it doesn't measure up, doesn't work out. And Paul's pointing these things out as he goes through this sermon. And people will be judged for their wrongs against God. But Paul brings that out at the end, the gospel. And so it's helpful to understand what another person believes with the larger questions of life in order to share the essentials of the gospel. And I think particularly the first couple of points, that God is creator and sustainer, or the third point even, that God is Lord and Father of mankind, are the ones that particularly are not understood by our culture today. The Lord 
is, he starts off, the Lord is the Lord of heaven and earth. What's that saying? God is not just a God who is local, like can be put in this temple. God is everywhere. God is all around the world. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He exists, but not just locally. A person in India can be understanding God and talking to God as a person in Africa or a person right here in Shepparton. And he's invisible. He's a powerful God. And he's the source of all life, as we see and as we know in the world all around us. God, The God we worship is a cosmic God. He is an almighty God, an everlasting God. And he reigns and rules in a, in a, above the world. He is invisible to most in the world. And those who worship him, as we read in John's Gospel, must worship him in spirit and in truth. I like um, the illustration by a little book that's just come out by a couple of guys, Rory Shiner and Peter Orr, called The World Next Door. And they give this illustration of how we can understand our world And it's based on the fact that in Philippians 2.10, Paul is uh, encouraging the Philippians to pray. And he says that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, what Peter and uh, Rory Shine are saying, that we have a triple-decker universe. So there is heaven above the earth, where God dwells, where the angels are, where God rules. And we can understand that very quickly by just thinking about the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray there? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed or honoured be your name, your kingdom, your rule be done on earth as it is in heaven. We understand heaven is where God reigns and rules, and no question. But on earth, um, God appointed mankind to rule under his uh, headship and is where we seek to reign and rule under his authority as his image bearers. But all people in some way have rejected God's rule, every one of us, in some thought or some action or some deed, have uh, some word, have broken God's laws. And we break the law at one point, we've broken the law. And so we need to get right with God. And God's provided a way of that through Jesus. But God still rules and he's still present in this world. We still bear the image of God and he gives us freedom to obey his rule or reject his rule. And then, of course, there's under the earth. The Bible calls it Sheol or Hades. It's the place of the dead. And it makes sense. You know, what happens when you die? We, we tend to bury people or we cremate them and we scatter the ashes. It goes to the earth. And that's, that's a, a reality. And sometimes uh, there's a talk of ghosts, spirits of dead people are being seen. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but people do talk about ghosts. And um, generally, people in the realm of the dead don't cross into the realm of the living. And people from heaven don't cross to the realm of earth, though angels do sometimes. 
Um, but the Bible talks about these things. You never know, we might be entertaining angels. Jesus talked to his disciples and said, you know, touch me and feel me. I'm not a ghost. You know, so there's a triple-decker universe and we've got to recognise that God rules and reigns in this universe. He's, he's everywhere, but he's never far from us. And then we go on to verse 25, that he is the sustainer. He sustains this world. He upholds this world with his power by his hand. Paul says he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Todd made a point of it the other day, the other week, that we can't breathe unless God is sustaining us. And Paul is counteracting the notions that God is somehow local, that somehow we can uh, sustain ourselves, that we're sufficient, um, but we're blind, or maybe people are sort of blind to the to the regularity of nature as as such. That if X produces Y, under certain conditions, that can happen again. And why should nature be regular? Why shouldn't it just be all chaos out there? It's because God sustains and we have seasons and we have the sun rise at a certain time in the morning and the sun set and so on. And we don't live in a random chaotic world, but a world where God has put things in place, laws for physics and biology and uh, chemistry and mathematics so that we go on and discover these things and find, wow, you know, isn't that amazing? We think we're very clever, but God has put it all there. And he's distinct from creation and yet involved with it. He's sustaining it moment by moment. As if he needed us. Well, really, we often get it round the wrong way. God doesn't need people at all. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need a place to live. He doesn't need sleep. He is self-sufficient, and that's what should humble us, reminding us that we're not God. He is God, and we are dependent on him. Um, so that, that's um, God is the creator, sustainer, and he's the Lord and father of us all. Verse 26, this cosmic creator then has revealed himself and helps us to know that he is the one responsible for creation and sustaining the world. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them, the exact places that they should live. Paul states it, he came, from one man he created all the nations. And this is reminding us that we are all made in the image of God. We all bear resemblance. And I'm sure uh, my wife, you know, when we see all the old photos of the grandmothers and the great-grandmothers and fathers and all that, and saying, oh, you know, uh, the grandson's got, you know, uh, that, that great-grandmother's ears or nose or something. <laughs> We all bear resemblances, uh, family resemblances. We all bear those images. There's a little saying, the apple didn't fall far from the tree with that person, you know. Uh, so too, we also bear the character, the image of God, who is loving, 
who is kind, who is generous, who is forgiving, who is patient with us and long-suffering. <laughs> and we all know when we experience people who are like that, we want to be around those sort of people because we know that we have our faults, but they help us to get over our faults and we can see how good it is to be around them. But also we can go on and go quite the opposite. We can be very self-centred and very focused on ourselves, and we fill up ourselves with all sorts of things or do all sorts of things to destroy this image. We take substances, we abuse our bodies, we go without sleep and then we find we've got all sorts of problems. And so we realise that also we have our limitations. We certainly have our limitations of where we live. We like to live in a, a nice, comfy place, uh, in, in a nice environment where we don't have uh, freezing conditions and we don't have extremely hot conditions. We like to know that we can be comfortable and uh, we won't go and live in Antarctica, for example, or live in some tropical place where we, where we just die of um, thirst. But also we have our limitations with our time. That, uh, we... Our lives are limited. God has set the boundaries. And um, so that, that's something to think about there. And then fourthly, he's a friend of sinners. And verse 27 is followed by these two quotes. God did this so men should seek and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's never far from each one of us. So Paul's moved from talking about the cosmic creator to about how God comes and he's never far from us. We can know him and find him and he's intimate with us. He can be our friend, even though we have rejected him in many ways. God can be our friend. And so Paul then quotes these two quotes. We shouldn't think he's like gold or silver or stone um, since we're God's offspring. And, and that's a quote. And then he goes on to say that... Um, you know, we live and move and have our being. He's, he's uh, sustaining us um, and reminding them that their poets have said this is a good uh, authority. Uh, but, of course, our default setting, if you like, it's a good computer term, isn't it, default setting, is, um, is not to acknowledge him, but rather we want to just acknowledge ourselves. And uh, there's a great quote from that uh, blockbuster and well-known movie, The Gladiator, where Russell Crowe has defeated uh, a a foe against him in the arena in Rome and the emperor comes out to talk to him and and then as Russell Crowe turns, the emperor wants to mock him and ridicule him how his uh, son and and wife had died, how they um, died at his hands. And Russell Crowe turns around and he says... The time for honouring yourself will soon be at an end. It's a very uh, powerful, thoughtful quote. And it's something that I think the Bible sort of echoes. The time for honouring ourselves will come to an end. One day we'll stand before God face to face. And have we honoured him or have we honoured ourselves? His desire, God's desire, 
is for us to come and know him personally. And he reveals that. That's what Paul's saying in verse 29 and 28 and 30. He wants us to seek him and know him as a friend. He wants to be known and he makes it possible, especially now. And amazingly, uh, we can call him father. You know, Paul talks about that in Galatians. We can cry uh, in the Aramaic term, daddy or Abba, father. Uh, And Jesus said, you know, you can pray to your heavenly father and he hears us and responds to us. And so it seems very silly or dumb to worship something made by human hands. But so often people go along with it. They worship themselves, they worship their cars, they worship their houses, they worship many things except God. And creation all the time is shouting and saying, look, look at the amazing creation and look at you yourselves, how complex you are, made in the image of God, charged with moral responsibility. And... Um, and then finally, and verse 30, in past, God overlooked such ignorance, but he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, history has reached a point, and God has revealed this person. You cannot remain indifferent. Either you accept him or reject him. He has spoken clearly through this person of Jesus. He's going to be the judge as well as the saviour. And there is this life that you live, but there is also the life to come that you will live. And so repentance is a necessary matter. You need to turn your life around from worshipping yourself and honouring yourself and honour him. Put him first above all other things. And then finally in verse 31, for he said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. This is the gospel. He will judge. We need to repent and we need to believe that there is a judgment to come. And he's raised him from the dead. I'm sure Paul would have went on, but he got sort of cut short there as we read. I'm sure that Luke recorded the bare bones. And to speak this address might only take a minute or so, but Paul probably stood there at the Areopagus on this famous hill, the Mars Hill they call it, And maybe spoke for 10, 20, 30 minutes, who knows. But here we recorded what Paul, what what Luke wanted to record from what he, Paul had given him. And so we asked this question, what is essential for finding God? As we've gone through this address, Paul presented five truths before he actually came to the gospel truth. That Jesus is both Lord and Saviour that you need to repent and believe. Now, many people today just don't like this idea of judgment. But let me give you three things that are helpful to think about when we're talking about judgment to those who think that this judgment will be really bad. From our perspective, from the biblical perspective, this is a great celebration. There's three greats. A great celebration of joy, a great saviour and a great victory. A great celebration of joy. There are many, many people who are just in our community who are lonely, depressed, suffering in some way. 
there many hardships, and we hear it all the time. We see it on the news. But there comes a day, if there's uh, no justice and there are many evils in this day, there comes a day when they'll be gone. And so we look forward to this day. It will be a great day of celebration and joy when Jesus comes again, when, those, when there's justice comes and, and Jesus is going to judge the world with justice. And Abraham is recorded there, or Moses recorded Abraham's word, shall not the judge uh, do right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so even though we are oppressed and even though we may not escape it and even though there are wrongs done which we can't correct, there will come a day when they'll all be cleared off because God renews and God judges justly. Then he's a great saviour. We all know we deserve punishment and God judges, but the judge is also the saviour. Isn't that a marvellous message? He came to show us not his judgment, but his loving kindness and his grace. And so often we need to remind people that God is gracious, God is kind, God is good. And do you recognise this God as well as a God of, of judgment? And it's also a great victory. The judgment will be complete. We read about it in Revelation 22. There will be no more sin. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. For all those things will have passed away. So what is essential for a person to find God? The answer is the gospel, of course. But put it in the context of the biblical framework, the story of the Bible. That's what Paul's done. And that brings us to the second question. How does a person generally explain the gospel? Well, we could talk a lot about this, but let's look at how Paul did it. We see here there's a framework used. We see, uh, in fact, a number of things. First of all, he starts off where they're at. He, He finds the common ground. I see that you're very religious, he says. I see that you're worshipping God's. And in fact, you even have an altar to an unknown God. So you want to find God and you want to know God, so you want to please the, the God or the gods. Well, let me tell you about it. There is a, a common ground. He established that, well, yeah, I, I, I too am religious and I too worship God, but let me tell you about the God that I worship. Um, See, most people don't want to be told about that they're wrong or they're ignorant or they don't want to go against the cultural norms. And that's why we need to start on that common ground. Um, and, and, it's, and it's a bit like what a doctor does. The doctor diagnoses you, works out what the problem is before he gives you, uh, hopefully, the remedy, hopefully the medicine. Can you imagine going to the doctor and you're losing weight, um, you lack energy and uh, perhaps a little bit constipated or something? And as the doctor listens to you, you know, and you tell him that you've been eating a lot of chocolate to get the energy, he said, well, that's the problem. You're eating a lot of chocolate. That's why you're losing weight and that's why you haven't got any energy. Now, maybe you respect the doctor, but 
probably you might think that the diagnosis is not quite correct. There might be some other things going on. It becomes a little bit implausible or, or it doesn't weigh up with what you know about eating chocolate. And that's the problem. We, we sometimes, or many people think, Christianity doesn't, doesn't uh, line up with their idea of what follows what. It's implausible that someone could come into the world born of a virgin. It's implausible that someone could die and then rise again. But God, who is the God of creator, can alter nature, can do those things because he's the creator and sustainer. And so what Paul does is he starts on common ground and then he works through a biblical framework. He works from creation right through to the salvation. The creator is a ruling God who is both just and loving and he, um, he starts off there and he goes on to talk about how he sustains, how he's not only the cosmic creator but he is intimate with people. You can get to know him. And creator, sustainer, Lord and father of mankind, friend of sinners, Redeemer and judge. Creator, sustainer, redeemer, judge, and reminding people of how he can come to know them. And if you think about the, the books of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 talk about creation. Genesis 3 talks about the fall. The, Old Test, the rest of the Old Testament talk about the need for a redeemer. The Gospels talk about the redeemer and the letters. And then in Revelation we, talk, we see about God's final judgment. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Perhaps there's another framework we can think of. Perhaps there's some questions, the, the four big questions of life. Um, origins, morality, meaning and destiny. Where did I come from? Who am I? What is my purpose in life and where am I going? Um, so, same sort of thing. And then what, thirdly what he does is quote some recognised authorities. He quotes some poets that they know of that they accept, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And again, we can look at uh, all sorts of things around us to, to remind people of what they believe. Um, you know, So, again, the Gladiator movie, at the start of the movie, Russell Crowe, the commander of the army, uh, appeals to the troops to fight against the enemy. And he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And so here is a, a movie everyone loves, perhaps, or not everyone, but a lot of people recognise, and it just reminds us that what we do now also has an effect in the life to come. And finally, the fourth thing, the start on common ground, uses a biblical framework to explain how we can understand and, and it's plausible to believe the gospel quotes some recognised authority and finally brings out the gospel. That's a very important aspect. You can't sort of go and tell people about um, God the creator, God the sustainer, without talking about Jesus as saviour and Lord. So how does uh, one explain the gospel? So people find him, to know him, uh, eventually get to the gospel, but again in the biblical 
framework. And what, what makes some people believe the message? Well, we see that there's three responses. Some sneer or scoff, and uh, it's sort of mockery. As soon as they heard about the resurrection, they thought there was two gods. They thought there was Jesus and some god called the resurrection. But when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they just scoffed at that. Um, and that's something that people will do because it just seems too hard to accept. Others, we want to hear you again. Now, we don't know. Uh, did they really want to hear him again or is that just someone saying those nice words? Um, all we noticed is that Paul left that place and went elsewhere and then left Athens. In some ways, we could say it's sad that some people, even some of our family, friends, don't believe. They don't accept our truth. Uh, and we don't want to give up on anyone. But in some ways, we, we need to explain it and let them think through it. And if people don't have the willingness to learn when they have the opportunity, they're a bit like the rich young ruler who went away very sad because Jesus told him to give away all his possessions. Or they're a bit like the rich man who found himself in a place where he wasn't with Lazarus, but he wanted to tell his brothers about what has happened to him. And what did Jesus say? Well, they have the prophets, they have Moses. They can learn about it, and they should. And so... We don't know about those who wanted to hear it again, but then we do hear about um, Dionysius and Damaris, a man of uh, learning, the, uh, an Arapaiagite, uh, and a woman named Damaris, and others. And these people believed. We see that word, they believed, and they accepted the truth personally. Why did they believe? Well, because their hearts were open, they were open to change their understandings. And they wanted to, they, when they were given the evidence, when they were given the help and understanding from Paul's address, God worked in their hearts. And here is the, I suppose, the, the crunch. We must never believe that the words we speak aren't producing something. <laughs> God's word doesn't return to him void, it says. And so we must just seek to speak the truth and hope and pray that God will work in their hearts. But encourage people to have open hearts. Challenge them that it's not really hard to believe once you, once you examine the evidence. And there is so much evidence. There's so much to see and so much available to understand but you must have a willingness to learn. Jesus stated that uh, we can't have this sort of detachment. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your reminder that... Um, it's difficult for people to change their view of life. But you've revealed yourself in an amazing way uh, through the scriptures, through the prophets, and above all, through Jesus. 
And so we pray that you would help us to understand this truth and to explain it well. And we pray that in explaining it well, people may indeed believe. And thank you, Lord, that you helped us believe at some point in time. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.